and welcome to the My Breast, My Health podcast. My name is Tasha Gandhi-Mihaja and I'm your host and I'm also a breast cancer surgeon. During these podcast episodes, I talk to those experts in the field of medicine, surgery, as well as the health and wellness space. I also talk to those who have been affected by breast cancer, who have been generous enough to share their stories. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I am speaking to Tom Cowan. Tom works as an exercise physiologist who specializes in tailoring specific exercises to those who have had a cancer diagnosis. He has worked closely with Public Health England and the Faculty for Sport and Exercise Medicine UK and is a member of their Cancer and Exercise Expert Panel. As it is the beginning of the year, it is quite usual for exercise to enter the forefront of our minds. And of course, exercise has clear benefits. In the cancer arena, however, there is increasing evidence emerging regarding the benefits of exercise in outcomes of those who have had breast cancer. And so Tom and I had a great conversation covering a variety of topics. We talked about the general benefits of exercise and cancer and how we can combat fatigue, which is one of the commonest side effects of cancer treatment. We also talked about the best type of exercises we can do to improve our immune system, as well as our bone density. And right at the end, Tom gives us really helpful advice on how to reduce as well as help with lymphedema. And that's a condition that those who have had breast cancer treatment um, may relate to. So it was a really, really interesting conversation. And I am sure you will gain a ton of value from listening to this. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tom Cowan. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Tasha. And yourself? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I really wanted you to come on because I know you work as an exercise physiologist specializing in exercise prescription for both cardiac and cancer patients. So, obviously, you know, this podcast is about cancer patients, specifically breast cancer patients. Could you describe the ways with which you help those who have had a cancer diagnosis optimize their health and what you do? Yeah, so um, I'll I'll be referred patients to me either through their oncologist or sometimes patients will self-refer as well. Um, anyone who's looking to really get started with an exercise program or if they're already exercising just to get some specific advice tailored to potentially their treatment that they're, they're undergoing or they're about to undergo or their specific cancer. Um, I work with patients at all stages of their their treatment, so that can be before treatment, during treatment, or following treatment, and across a range of different cancer tumor types as well. Okay, because you know we all know about the benefits that exercises can have to both our physical health and also our mental health. But for cancer patients, exercise is actually really, really important, and I think there is increasing evidence suggesting how exercise not only can impact treatment outcome for those who've had cancer, but it can also improve survival. And I don't think we talk about this topic enough. From your perspective, how important do you think uh, do you think exercise is in patients who've had cancer? I think uh, exercise is, is hugely important, um, as you say, both physiologically and psychologically for the patient. Um, it's an area of 
of the the treatment um, prescribed for a patient where they can actually take some control over over their own destiny a little bit. So obviously, if a patient's diagnosed uh, with cancer, they've got an oncologist, their oncologist is probably uh, mapping out their treatment pathway for them. And unfortunately, the patient may not have quite as much control over that as as they you know may may wish to have um decisions are made for them it maybe feels a little bit out of their control at times whereas with exercise obviously the the patient can really do as much or as little as they like and it's something they can really take control of um, right. maybe do something that can help to benefit benefit themselves at all at all stages of the treatment pathway um so i i think it's it's super important as you say both psychologically and physiologically, there's the benefits that you've talked about already, Tasha, in terms of research showing that exercise can help to reduce the risk of cancer recurrence, uh, reduce the risk of cancer-related mortality and all-cause mortality. So in simple terms, really extending the patients, not only potentially through exercise, the quality of their life, but also the quantity and um, potentially of their life as well. Um, and then you've got the benefits such as reducing the occurrence and severity of side effects uh, from the different types of treatment that the patient may be undergoing, whether that's chemotherapy, radiotherapy, surgery, um, whatever it be, the, the benefits are becoming more and more evident um, as obviously more and more studies look into exercise as an intervention. I mean, that's a really good um, point that you brought in terms of kind of giving back people or patients control because you're absolutely right when somebody comes to the clinic or they have a cancer diagnosis and they undergo treatment everything in their in that process is taken away from them in that you know the the doctors and the surgeons and the oncologists would be undertaking the treatment of course the the treatment would be discussed with them and with the patients and you know every decision is a shared decision but the the majority of the time, um, those who have had cancer will will take the treatment that has been prescribed to them. Whereas exercise, as you said, it's something that patients can do and you know control and determine what they want to do, how they want to do it, how frequently they want to do it. So in essence, it it empowers them in a way, does it? Definitely, definitely, um, and I think as we've discussed already, just gives them a feeling of of owning the situation to some degree, having some way that they feel that they can improve their own outcome. Uh, you know, I'm not saying this is to be done instead of treatment at all. This is to be done alongside their treatment and can have uh, a very beneficial impact on them, both physiologically and psychologically. You're absolutely right. I think it is a really important avenue to allow patients take onus and take control over their own health and you know sometimes patients may ask okay so what can I do to improve my outcome what can I do to minimize uh, the risks and side effects of treatment and exercise is something that they can take ownership and do um, to help themselves and um, I'm sure that is an extremely powerful thing for them to do. I think you alluded earlier um, about um, when you help, you can help patients go through their their treatment. So, when we normally talk about exercise in and around a cancer diagnosis, we can optimize health and strength around three different times throughout that process. So, you know, some people might have heard of prehab. I think that's the term. So that's you know yeah. rehab before treatment, 
And then you would also be able to help people around or through their treatment and also afterwards, which is post-treatment. So if we go through the the things that you can do for prehab, you know, what exercises and what circumstances you would find yourself prescribing prehab exercises? Sure. So um, firstly, Tasha, I think it's important just to mention that obviously the exercise prescription would be tailored completely to the individual and the, and the treatment that you're building up towards. So that could look very different for someone who's maybe building up towards surgery versus maybe someone who's building up towards chemotherapy, or it could look very different for someone who's maybe um, a prostate cancer patient who's building up towards a prostatectomy, for example, versus maybe a breast cancer patient who's going to have a mastectomy. In your practice, have you uh, do you do you get referrals from those who um, say are about to embark on say breast surgery, or um, would it be more commonly finding people who are about to embark on say chemotherapy uh, for for specifically for prehab exercises? Um, a mixture, really. Right. Um, Tasha, the best the best time, obviously, is to always get people. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully, patients are already exercising anyway at their time of diagnosis. Um, so, in which case, the prescription just needs to be to be tailored accordingly right. um, okay. to exactly what exercise they're doing. But yet, yeah, the the idea is to try and get obviously a patient immediately at diagnosis, um, so that we've got a little bit of time, hopefully, leading up to their treatment to get them as fit and as as strong as possible leading into chemotherapy or surgery, whatever it be that they're going towards. Okay. So yeah. then that's kind of getting their general fitness yeah. as as you know as optimal as possible before whatever treatment they would have, either, you know, either chemotherapy or say surgery. And then you would then find those uh, patients who are going through treatment. So I suspect these would be probably those who are going through chemotherapy. And one of the main um, side effects is fatigue. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a that's a real big you know, real big problem and a common problem. Is that what you find? And if so, what are the things that you can, you know, you would normally do or advise people to to do to help combat that fatigue? Yeah. Um, so the patients that I help going through treatment, um, through that sort of peritreatment period is uh, patients undergoing chemotherapy, uh, radiotherapy or hormone therapy. But as you say, um it's actually one of the major side effects, one of the main side effects that patients suffer from uh, during treatment is fatigue. Um, so both with chemotherapy and radiotherapy. Uh, we yeah. know that fatigue is uh, it's a, it's a tough one because obviously if a patient is fatigued, the last thing that they probably want to do is to physically exert themselves for fear of yeah. fatiguing themselves even further. Um, but actually then that can lead to a bit of a negative spiral. Um, we know that exercise is actually the number one way to uh, to challenge and to to try and combat fatigue. So really the idea is to try and get people doing a little bit of exercise and often. So we're trying to combat the fatigue to build hopefully the patient's energy levels during treatment and to try and also through using the, the, the correct intensity of exercise. So we're talking about moderate intensity exercise here to try and combat the fatigue rather than a, you know, going to the gym and giving it all that you've got and then being absolutely shattered and right on the floor for you know the next few 
it's, yeah, that's you know, working to a moderate intensity is the key um, right. to, try to combat the fatigue, and that also has the the other beneficial um, effects that we're looking to gain during during that sort of treatment um, period is optimizing immune function okay which is linked to um linked to moderate intensity exercise and moderate volume exercise as well so somebody going through chemotherapy the chemotherapy drugs are cytotoxic um so they're 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 killing the fast dividing cells which includes the immune cells and so a patient's immune system is generally getting a bit of a battering during chemotherapy and that will increase obviously with with multiple bouts of of chemotherapy or multiple cycles of chemotherapy i should say yeah. um, what we're trying to do is to obviously optimize the patient's immune system by boosting the white blood cells through exercise through moderate intensity exercise to hopefully get them through more or as many um rounds of chemotherapy as possible so that the chemotherapy can have its desired effect and can be as effective as a treatment as possible um so yeah the key the key is really all about is all around um monitoring the intensity and the volume of the exercise that the patient is doing to try and make sure that it stays in that moderate level to hopefully combat fatigue and to also optimize immune function okay so that's really interesting um so moderate when you say moderate exercise of course you know it's tailored according to patient's baseline fitness and so on but would it be you know just like a normal walk or would you combine aerobic and like strength exercises what kind of what what would moderate intensity look like yeah so it's a very good question it's uh to be honest the answer is different for for every single patient it's very individualized because of as you say tasha at the start everyone's fitness levels are slightly different so for yeah. some moderate intensity may involve going for a run for someone else it may be a very gentle walk um, right for that person a run may be high intensity and that might be too much for them and um, so there's obviously a few ways that we can monitor exercise intensity uh, we can use a heart rate monitor so they're more and more common nowadays people use them uh, people have got fitbits and other other tools other other fitness watches and activity trackers that they can use to gauge their own exercise intensity um, if you wanted to do things really scientifically you can use what we call a cpep which is a cardiopulmonary exercise test um, which is a way of, in, in short, it's normally performed on a bike. We perform it at the clinic that I work at, the Centre for Health and Human Performance, um, where you sit on a bike and we can assess your maximal exercise capacity and then we can set heart rate zones for you to train in according to how you perform essentially during right. that test. So we can set your heart rate zones to work at. Um, as a very simple tool that people can use with something called an RPE scale which stands for rating of perceived exertion, which was, which is a scale that's been devised, um, which can either be a 0 to 10 scale or a 6 to 20 scale. But essentially, it's a subjective scale that allows people to assess how hard they feel as though they're exercising. So what their perceived level of their exertion is. Um, so that can range from, if you're looking at the 6 to 20 scale, 6 being rest, so doing absolutely nothing up to 20, which is all out maximum exercise intensity. And right. we need to really hit what equates to moderate on those levels. So um, moderate is a three on the zero to 10 scale and is about a 12 to 13 sort of somewhat hard rating on the six to 20 scale. 
Um, and they're widely available scales that you can find just by Googling. So you could look at that and think as you're exercising, okay, how does this exercise feel to me? Is it light? Yeah. Somewhat hard? Is it hard? Is it maximal exercise intensity? And just be thinking around that moderate level. Uh, there's other tools that you can use as well, such as a talk test. So talking about the walk or in relation to the walking, um, Tasha, as you were saying before, quite a good quite a good way to monitor your exercise intensity there is to walk with a friend and if you're able to hold a conversation without being too out of breath you're probably working at a fairly moderate exercise intensity if right. we would say walk up the stairs or walk up a hill you might find that your breathing starts to become a little bit a little bit harder um, and you're maybe only stringing only a few words between each breath that you take then you're pushing the exercise intensity maybe a little bit harder than moderate and you may need to just slow the pace down a little bit to be able to get your breathing back under control and to bring the exercise intensity back to more of a moderate level great and they're really useful um, tips thank you for that so the aim is to undertake moderate exercise you don't want to go too too intense or too low so moderate is the the sweet spot Moderate moderate exercise intensity and volume is sort of what has been evidenced as as helping to really optimize immune function and just yeah common by common sense as well. We don't want to be obviously you know, working people to their absolute limit because that is going to have a knock on on their energy levels for the rest of the day and maybe yeah. the next day. Um, and as I said before, Sasha, the um, the key is that we we get people exercising hopefully a little bit and often rather than just doing you know an all-out session once a week it needs to be a little bit and often um just touching on uh your your earlier question uh tatra about what types of exercise we should be looking to perform the answer to that is a combination of both aerobic exercise so your cardiovascular types um which could be walking brisk walking ideally um but brisk walking or cycling it could be swimming it could be running any of those sorts of continuous um, repetitive types of movement tend to tend to form more the aerobic the cardiovascular types of training and then we also need to try and get some strength training into the into the balance of the program as well um, because they both offer something slightly different so aerobic training um is obviously very very important for improving the cardiovascular fitness and then the strength training is directly targeting the muscles and the joints and the yeah. bone, the skeleton. So we want to really have a combination of the two. And the idea yeah. is to have the the World Health Organization guidelines is to really try and perform 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week for aerobic exercise, that is, and then to perform two to three strength sessions sometimes you'll hear it called resistance exercise as well so strength or resistance exercise sessions per week which target all the major muscle groups in the body so upper body core and lower body that is obviously the general guidelines but then we need to also think about tailoring completely to the individual so for somebody who's inactive at the time of um at the time of them wanting to start an exercise program they need to build up towards those recommendations it'd be too much possibly for somebody to go from being completely inactive and a bit of a couch potato to doing 150 minutes of brisk walking or cycling per week. Yeah, that would be impossible. (laughs) Exactly. So you can see how that would then maybe push that person into not just being a moderate exercise intensity and volume for them, but that would actually be very high um, and push push them and maybe 
potentially be overtraining them, which would have a negative impact on their immune function and possibly their fatigue and their their energy levels as well. So it's really trying to hit and tailor completely to the individual's current fitness levels that they have and building them up towards that recommendation if they're not there. Yeah, I think that's really useful. And as you said, it's really down to the individual's base level of fitness and, and how they feel. I guess the message is that when you are fit, when you are feeling fatigued, the easy option would be actually just, you know, curl up on the couch and just watch TV, but actually exercise, although would be the last thing that you probably want to do, exercising, even if it's just a brisk walk. Um, or a slow walk really for 10 minutes guess, getting some fresh air that would be more beneficial in combating that fatigue rather than inactivity would that be would that be correct correct um tasha and what what i usually recommend to um the, the patients that i'm seeing that are undergoing chemotherapy which adds a different dynamic to the exercise prescription because the chemotherapy works in cycles obviously so um what we may tend to find is is that Maybe in the first few days um, following chemotherapy, the the energy levels are really low and the fatigue is hitting quite hard. Um, say the chemotherapy is done on a twice uh, sort of fortnightly basis, let's say. Um, maybe those first five days, the energy levels are really low, fatigue is really high. What I would be saying to uh, the patients that I work with is, for for them at that point, what may feel a moderate intensity and what what feels doable without being too much of a challenge is to maybe just go for a walk and just keep it keep you know maybe even in the first days just go for a few laps around the block and that's it you know nice short walk maybe by the end of that first week energy levels are starting to increase a little bit the fatigue's reducing they're maybe feeling a little bit better maybe they could do a very light strength session or maybe they could just do a bit more of a um rather than just going for a walk maybe they could do a little bit of a structured um cardiovascular session on the bike where they just keep to a steady state for 20 minutes so a nice continuous exercise intensity fairly short in duration not pushing themselves too hard not working at an all-out maximal speed or anything like that and then maybe in the second week that's maybe the time that for them we could start to structure into their program a little bit of strength training so we could then think okay that's our big focus for the second week is energy levels are higher at that point the fatigue's reduced let's start to give them maybe a little bit more demanding exercise then once their energy levels are a little bit better so the whole program would be structured around around the energy levels which are resulting from the from the chemotherapy cycles that they're they're undertaking yeah no that's that absolutely makes sense because um, as you said, usually immediately after a chemotherapy session, it's when you're you're most tired and you're probably experiencing the most side effects. But then the longer you are away from that session, you know, weeks down the line, that's when your energy level is, is greater, isn't it? And you actually feel the best. So um, what you're suggesting is to not force, but to encourage you to do slightly more challenging exercises within your limits of course rather than doing it immediately after a a chemotherapy session correct Tasha yeah yeah correct and and to also think as well just if we're talking about the um the structure of 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 exercise prescription and programming into the week is to also allow rest days and to and to not look at that as a negative thing um so if 
if the patient does feel really tired on one day and the energy levels are just not allowing anything to be done, then just take it as a rest day and that's completely allowed. And when the energy levels are a little bit better, then we can think about structuring some walking or structuring a strength session in there. Um, So then the group of patients that you would see post-treatment would be post-surgery. And um, in breast surgery, it would either be um, a lumpectomy or a mastectomy with or without reconstruction. What are the conditions that you find um, yourself having to help people post-surgery in in breast cancer? Yeah, so um, probably with the patients that that I'm working with, I I may hopefully get them, as we said, pre-treatment at diagnosis and then see them all the way through treatment. So all the way through treatment and then into that post-treatment period. So it may not just be patients that have had surgery. It could be that I've worked with a patient during um, chemotherapy or radiotherapy and then I'm helping them near their end because as you know um, fatigue as if we're using that as an example as the as the major side effect and the main side effect that we see that can sometimes actually occur several months even after chemotherapy or radiotherapy is finished that can be a long-lasting issue um, or something that actually presents itself quite a period of time following that treatment um, so right. it could still be that we're we're trying to combat fatigue at that point um, right in that post-treatment period but yes from um if we're if we're discussing surgery then obviously the post-treatment period is is probably the key point or the key period with with that intervention breast cancer specifically um and mastectomies initially post-treatment in the first definitely the first few weeks we're looking the main objective is to try and regain range of motion around the shoulder or around the shoulders if it's been a, a double mastectomy it will be movements in in different planes yeah completely sort of using all different ranges of motion at the shoulder to try and uh, or to regain all different ranges of motion at the shoulder once we've achieved that and we've started to to develop that range of motion and got the flexibility back, then we can start to think about loading the muscle groups around the shoulder. So that could be the pectorals um, in the chest and the shoulders, shoulder muscle, the deltoid um, itself. Um, but that's not something that we do initially. We firstly want to just build that range of motion back and then very, very gradually start to develop the strength in the area and the muscles in the area by gradually increasing the amount of resistance or in simple terms really the weight that we're we're loading the muscle groups with right so you initially you initially um, help to improve function first and foremost and then you aim to increase the strength of the muscles exactly that yeah yeah and then hopefully get the um sort of those muscles in in time hopefully be able to develop the strength in the muscles back to what they were pre pre-surgery Strength training presumably involves weights, does it? It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to. Right. Um, it can be completely body weight. It can use household items, um, which a lot of my patients have got very inventive with over this uh, this COVID era and the periods of lockdown when gyms have been closed, etc. So, um, for example, a press up is or a wall press. A wall press would be a wall press is a, a press up against the wall. Essentially, is a foundation exercise and is one of the first strength exercises that I would look to reintroduce to a patient who's had a mastectomy um, right. where we lost some some strength and some function around the shoulder and in the chest muscles we'd be looking to use that as a first maybe first port of call when we're looking to reintroduce strength training back into those muscle groups um, is to do a very gentle press against the wall 
And as we are able to with time, as we're able to progress that exercise, we can start to lower the angle, for example, that the patient's pushing against the wall so that we're gradually just adding a bit more body weight to the exercise with time so that we're we're loading the muscle group essentially just very, very gradually um, and increasing that. And as time moves on, then we can start to think about maybe doing more demanding chest exercises, um, such as press-ups on the floor or on a chair, where you're again reducing the angle down towards the floor. Um, you're increasing, therefore, the the body weight, essentially the body weight and therefore the resistance that is is being used in that exercise. So that's really useful, isn't it? Because you don't actually have to go to the gym or, you know, use anything fancy, just using your own body weight by, um, you know, trying to do these press-ups, first of all, from the standing position, I suspect, I suppose, then gradually going onto the floor. That in itself would be enough to build that strength of your of your pecs to begin with yeah that would be a very effective exercise obviously if you've got access to weights etc then you've maybe just got a little bit more variation um with the exercises that you can perform it might make the workouts a little bit more interesting and varied but yeah there's no reason that you can't perform a very effective um strength training session in the comfort of your own home with uh, with very limited equipment and patients of mine have used things like water bottles or rucksacks filled with books as their as their weights at home and it's worked completely you know perfectly well and yeah that, that's fine. quite inventive <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, very inventive of them but there's uh, there's no no reason to be stopped by you know by access not having access to a gym or or anything like that yeah no that's definitely right you you shouldn't let the inaccessibility of of equipment stop you from doing exercises i think you know you can even use tins of I don't know beans and cans that you've got in the in the you know, in your in your cupboards and things like that, can't you? Definitely, yeah. Pop them, pop them as I said in a rucksack, and then that will make quite a substantial weight. Um, it's quite a good, uh, yeah, a good a good way of doing things. I guess you you probably also see the consequences of radiotherapy because obviously radiotherapy, especially radiotherapy to the chest wall, can make that part of the chest wall quite tight and quite difficult to mobilize and function do you see do you see many patients with that problem uh yes yeah and um again it would just be the prescription really would just be in very would be to be very careful um, and considerate of of working the area just not to exacerbate the pain and the the soreness that the the patient's feeling in that area so it would be on a sort of case-by-case basis as to what i would prescribe but it'd be very much um monitoring the the area and just giving very gentle exercise initially and just trying to progress it as as is possible yeah and also actually you mentioned endocrine treatment and there are side effects uh, attributed to these uh, to, to this particular treatment yeah there's fatigue and there's also body compositional changes as well which i think is a is an important one to touch on and just mention because Obviously, we know that exercise can have a hugely positive impact on on helping with body composition, improving body composition. So when we talk about body composition, we mean what are what is the body made of? And if we think specifically about fat, muscle and bone, then they can see quite major changes during treatment. And that can be through hormone therapy. Obviously, that may hormone therapy may have negative impacts on on body fat may increase body fat um may reduce muscle mass may reduce mm. bone mineral density um but if we can if we can exercise and if we perform strength training strength training can help to develop the muscle mass in the patient 
So it can help to combat that reduction in muscle mass. It can help to improve bone mineral density. So some, some either strength training or doing light impact work can help to improve bone mineral density. And it's really important that it is fairly light in impact because obviously if the bones are a little bit more fragile, we don't want to be hitting them with high impact work. So maybe plyometrics, which is uh, leaping and bounding type exercises may not be so suitable, but to be performing uh, for example, a light jog, something like that, where you're getting a little bit of light impact continuously, that might be something that can can just help to optimise bone mineral density in those patients. But strength training is a really, really good way of doing that as well. So that's another reason for just including strength training within the programme. And obviously, if we're doing aerobic training as well, one of the benefits of that is that it can help to target body fat and it can help to reduce to reduce body fat and weight and just help to maintain the patient's weight at a usual or sorry to at a sort of more normal level where it should be. Yeah, that's really important area actually, bone density, because um, we know that you know especially electrozole it does um, affect bone density of women and increasing that density through exercise is something that probably we don't talk about enough really and you know as you said low impact exercise can stimulate bone turnover to to negate the loss of bone mineral through treatment so i think i'm not sure whether it's a correct assumption but we do think about cardiovascular exercise as the 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 most important exercise because you know we increase our cardiovascular fitness and we will burn fat and we can get fitter but strengthening exercise is is very important too and we probably don't put enough enough importance on that i i agree um tasha and i think that's i think it would be fair to say with um most people that i see then usually then they've got some sort of cardiovascular exercise structured into their routine they'll be either walking or maybe swimming or cycling or whatever it be but we've we've not normally it's it's less common let's say to see that people are doing structured strength training sessions on a on a regular basis so normally that's the missing piece of the jigsaw but one that has huge benefits for the patient um bone mineral density optimization is only one of the benefits of strength training but there's there's so many more to to be seen from it that i think i think it's a probably underappreciated area of the program we know that actually obviously strength training is targeting directly the muscles in the body and helping to maintain at least maintain but hopefully optimize the muscle mass that the patient has and generally the more muscle that the patient has if they can maintain it and optimize it they've generally got a um a sort of improved outcome um let's say so we know that sarcopenia which is the loss of the loss of muscle mass is associated with a higher incidence of chemotherapy related toxicity with the surgical outcomes as i said before and just yeah, in, in short, just improved survival, um, improved or reduced uh, mortality rates and improved recurrence rates as well by reducing the risk of that. Yeah, definitely is underappreciated. And the other thing that I would like to talk about is um, lymphedema. Yeah. Do you see many women with lymphedema? And if so, what can you do to help them? Because it is it is a difficult situation or it's a difficult condition um, to address uh, at times? Yeah, um, I, I do see a lot of patients post-surgery, breast cancer patients post-surgery, and I would say that lymphedema is probably the one thing that they're most 
concerned about developing or they're most yeah they're, they're most worried about um the good right. news though is is that exercise can help to reduce the risk of a patient developing uh, developing lymphedema if we're thinking about how to do that um obviously wearing a compression sleeve can help a compression garment can help so i'd ask patients to think about doing that and in terms of exercise prescription what we want to be thinking about is exercises that involve rhythmic arm movements so they're exercises that mean that the arm is sort of moving fairly continuously rather than being held in a static position so just in one position so for example what i would be advising not to do is to do anything where the arm is holding a heavy weight down by your side so that's one of the worst things that you could do so if we put that into sort of a daily everyday context going to the supermarket carrying back two heavy shopping bags one in each hand is not a very good thing to do if you're worried about developing lymphedema because you're holding static contraction in your arm with the weight hanging down by your side that's that's not the best thing to do at all what we should be thinking about doing exercise wise is to hold a light weight if you're going to hold a weight just hold a very light weight so just keep to a few kilograms um obviously that again would be sort of tailored according to the individual a little bit but holding a very light weight and doing something like a bicep curl um where we're just getting a rhythmic contraction through the bicep muscle is the way to go about trying to reduce your risk of lymphedema and that's because we're getting gentle but fairly frequent contractions of the muscle which will help to squeeze any of the lymph vessels within the muscle uh, within that area um and essentially encourage the lymph fluid to be pushed along through the vessel so it's helping in a way to through the muscle contracting that's acting as a bit of a pump and causing that flu uh, that flow of lymph to to continue so that that's the way that it's essentially helping to reduce the risk of lymphedema if we wanted to try and if, a, if say for example a patient was um wanting to increase the resistance that they were working with say they wanted to do a squat and they were very strong in their legs some people would hold a weight down by their side to try and increase their not just have their body weight as the resistance for a squat but to increase the the resistance that they're having to work their their lower body muscle groups with to increase that above just body weight they may hold that weight by their side as i said before that wouldn't be the the best way to do things what they may want to consider instead is to maybe hold the weight as what we call a bit of a goblet position and so so to hold it against the chest so rather than having it dangling by the side with the arms extended you've got the weight just up on the chest and that would be a much more safer way to do a squat with increased weight um so they're the sorts of little adaptations to exercise that i'd be prescribing and thinking about for for patients post surgery who are potentially therefore at greater risk of um of of lymphedema if they've had lymph nodes removed great that's really really helpful so these would be, you know, I guess quite easily performed at home. Mm-hmm. That hopefully would minimize the risk of developing lymphedema. What if somebody has unfortunately developed lymphedema post, post-surgery? Would these exercises still be of benefit? Yeah, so um, we're encouraging the flow of lymph by performing these rhythmic movements, these uh, rhythmic arm movements. So, yes, that would help essentially to... To, to move the lymph through the vessels um, and also wearing the compression garments as well. Right. So this would be, these are, th- these would benefit patients to reduce the risk of developing, but also if they have developed it, developed it, 
to minimize the effect of, of the lymphedema. Yeah. Great. Okay. How do they function with the lymphedema daily? Do they find it quite difficult to 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 perform daily tasks, or with these exercises, uh, does it benefit them a lot? Yeah. No. It's. Um, I think the exercise definitely has a has a benefit, as with wearing the sleeve. You know, put those importance on both of those two things together. I think you know, we're always trying to to think about reducing the risk of a patient developing it. So, and equally, if they've if they've got it trying not to make the symptoms worse so translating that into everyday activities for the patient so thinking about shopping carrying those heavy weights by the side thinking about if they're carrying things around the house you know could they maybe put it up on the on their chest and hold it against their chest rather than you know or in a rucksack on their back rather than holding it down by their side if if you think it may be like a laptop bag could it go could the laptop go in a rucksack on their back rather than holding it down by their side just little little modifications to be made um to everyday activities to actually try and to try and reduce that risk and make things better yeah that's really really helpful and i think um, as you've illustrated you don't actually have to be too complicated about it with simple mm. modifications in you know in your in your daily living if you're just a little bit more mindful in what you do i'm sure those little steps could be of huge benefit definitely definitely yeah well Tom, this has been an absolutely um, riveting conversation. I've learned so much, um, and I'm sure those who are listening out there have learned tons as well. Finally, do you have some just simple, actionable, general advice to to those you know patients who are either going through treatment or have gone through treatment and are at the other side, just in terms of simple exercises that, that they can do if they're absolute beginners or if they are quite fit and healthy and seasoned gym goers, for example, and, and they lack motivation. What general advice could you give just to make sure that that exercise can be integrated into our normal daily life? Sure. I think, um, Tasha, the, the take home message from me, to be honest, is just to avoid inactivity. That's, that's really what's being echoed um from the research and, and studies out there there's more and more evidence to 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 show that uh, that exercise is beneficial both psychologically and physiologically for cancer patients and actually most of the evidence is in breast cancer so that's the most sort of evidenced um tumor type that's uh, for exercise but yeah the, the, take, the take home message really is to avoid inactivity so whatever you can do to you know whether it's just a five minute walk around the block is going to be better than doing nothing um, there's lots of issues and a bit of a downward spiral if we're to stay inactive in terms of fatigue getting worse, but also thinking about body composition. You know, if we're inactive, then we're going to lose muscle mass, which is very important um, to outcomes. We may gain body fat. We may increase our body weight. You know, it's not going to um, be as easy to maintain it at the level that you had maybe possibly pre-diagnosis. There's just lots of um benefits to be had from exercise i think in in short so whatever you can do will be beneficial um think about cardiovascular training think about strength training if you're doing strength training think about trying to target the major muscle groups in the body but also getting a nice variety of the muscles that you're working in the body so making sure that the program has upper body lower body and core exercises involved and incorporated if that's suitable to your treatment, if that's suitable to the cancer type that you have. But that's where 
really you need maybe a little bit of individualization just added to the programs just tailor tailor things specifically to your tumor type um and to the treatment that you're undergoing just to make sure that you're doing exactly the right things at the right stage that's great advice so avoid inactivity is the take-home message so tom thank you so much um, for coming onto the podcast for those who want to connect with you where should they go um, I run regular clinics at the Centre for Health and Human Performance on Harley Street, which is CHHP London. And I myself, um, if you wanted to connect with me, my website is www.tcowan.co.uk and my Instagram and Twitter is Thomas J. Cowan. Fantastic. So I will definitely leave all of those links in the show notes and do check Tom out. So once again, Tom, thank you so much for coming onto the show and uh, hope to catch up with you soon. Thank you very much, Tash. Thank you for inviting me on. What a great conversation. Thank you so much to Tom once again. And if you want to check um, Tom out, I will leave all of those links in the show notes at www.mybreastmyhealth.com forward slash episode 25. I'm so excited for the next um, couple of months because I've got some very exciting guests lined up for you. The next episode is all about nutrition. And of course, you know, being the beginning of the year, we're going to be wanting to improve our health. And yeah, it's a great episode. So if you don't want to miss this, do hit that subscribe button. So all the new episodes get downloaded straight to your podcasting app of choice. And I would also like to thank all of you who have left a rating and review. And for those who would like to do that, then head over to the Apple podcasting app and you can do it there. It won't take you very long, only a few minutes, and I would be ever so grateful. So once again, thank you so much for listening and please stay safe, stay healthy, and I will catch up with you in the next episode. Take care. Bye.